us today. And so, kids, I want you to look on the screen. I'm going to put an example of what the inside of your bulletin looks like uh, up on the screen. Uh, I want you to go ahead and, and start working on that, kids, because, listen to me, at the end of the sermon, towards the end of it, I'm gonna, we're going to go through all those fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to have you shout out the answers for me. All right, so we're going to practice. Everybody shout out, yes, sir. All right, so that's a practice round, so get ready to shout out the answers at the end of the service. Don't worry, adults, we're going to include you in some of it, too, uh, as a part of that. That's part of our way of trying to help you, Mom and Dad, make disciples as we study the story of David together. We've been going through this series, uh, and we're kind of coming towards an end of it, the story of redemption. We started it coming out of Easter Sunday. We landed at the story of the road to Emmaus. Uh, and we talked about the road to Emmaus where Jesus walks with these two disciples, and for seven miles he teaches them how the entire Old Testament, starting with the writings of Moses all the way through, really point to him. So this series has been kind of based off of that idea that from the beginning, the whole thing, all the Old Testament is really about him. We've got to talk about some incredible stories of, of Adam and Eve and, and Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, and Boaz, who were David's great-grandparents, who we're going to talk about today, David, Gideon. Last week, we saw Samuel and the prophet era start with the demanding of kings, and today, we look at the story of the great King David, who there's more written in the Bible on King David than anyone else in the Bible other than Jesus Christ himself. So you pray for me that I can fit this into one sermon today. Um, the stories that we've gone through are not isolated stories, though. This is important for us to get, that these are not just random stories about these random people. There's a string connecting all of these of redemption. And so they have really three things in common. They have some moments of great faith and miracles of God. They have some moments of great weakness and dependence on God. But really, the main thing they have all together is they are all shadows of the substance of God's redemption story perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I, I don't want you to see them as isolated stories because Scripture doesn't want them to see us as isolated stories. All these stories tell the story of redemption. This is why Jesus spent seven miles telling them how it all pointed to the Messiah and the gospel. This is why Hebrews 11 goes through a lot of these stories. This is why Stephen, in his dying breath, as he's being martyred, starts with the Old Testament. Talk about limited time to bring a sermon in when people were throwing stones at you. And he chose to start in the Old Testament to point to Jesus. It's also why, given the opportunity to speak in a synagogue, the Apostle Paul walks through these stories to get them to the gospel. So even though we're still in the Old Testament, today our reading is going to be out of the New Testament. So stand with me. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Verses 15 through 41, we're going to read Paul's story. If you've got a pew Bible that says the story on it, it's page 764. If you don't have a pew Bible, start in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Also written by Luke. We're going to read verses 13, I mean verses 15 through 41. <clears throat> After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he likes to talk with his hands like I do. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, 
chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And John was finishing his course. As John was, as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also said in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not. See corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray as we look at your word this morning, as we look at the story of David, that we would not see David as the hero. We would not see David as our example. Lord, we would see the power of the gospel to transform our hearts and our minds and to redeem us for your purposes. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, you would speak louder than me, and that you would also speak to me. So I need this message as much as anyone here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So I wanted you, I wanted to read to you all of Paul's message there, even though we're not going to break down all of Paul's message, because I wanted you to see why we did this series. Again, I want to keep reminding you that we did this series because we, we want you to see that all this ties together. That's important to understand the gospel in the context of the whole of Scripture. Uh, we, we have great gospel presentations, and we use three circles a lot here, and that's a wonderful gospel presentation, but we don't want to miss the depth of Scripture of what's going on here. So out of Paul's message, we're going to focus on David today, um, and we're going to see what God can teach us out of the story of David. Paul concludes his story, his message, kind of with a story of David and then a final warning of the prophets. We will conclude this series with today uh, the story of David and then next week the warnings of the prophets just like Paul does here in his message. Now, the kids next week uh, will be in the hideout, and they will be studying the story of David and Goliath. And kids, you don't want to miss that one. That's going to be really, really fun next Sunday in there. Um, So if you've got your bulletin, uh, you'll see I gave you some fill-in-the-blanks today. Um, If you like that, I hope you do. I'm not promising that every Sunday. Don't necessarily get used to it. All right. So in our brief overview of the story of David today, we will look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of David's life. But don't worry, I'm going to keep it PG. So the good is David is a courageous shepherd in the shadow of Christ. The bad is David is a cautionary tale of carelessness. And the ugly is David is a cowardly king. I'll say it again. David is a courageous shepherd in the shadow of Christ. David is a cautionary tale of of carelessness, and David is a cowardly king. As we look at David as the courageous shepherd in the shadow of Christ, we see this kind of theme in all these stories of the Old Testament of shadow and substance. Everybody say shadow, and now everybody say substance. See, in the Old Testament, you get these stories that are shadows of the substance of Jesus Christ. So they're great stories, powerful stories, epic stories. But if we miss the point and make those stories the point, we only are looking at the shadow of the substance that they point to. These point to the substance of the redemption of Jesus Christ, the story fulfilled completely in the man, Jesus Christ. And so David is this courageous shepherd in the shadow of Christ, really a phenomenal man in so many ways. And so, but even the Apostle Paul here, as he speaks about him, he says, and then they asked for a king. We talked about that last week. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. And we love to say that this is what, how God talks about David, whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who would deal all my will of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And we look at the, the lineage of David and how that leads to Jesus Christ. And that was even one of the most beautiful parts about the book of Ruth, right? As we look at the end of the book of Ruth, this whole love story isn't just about this love story, but at the end we see that even this, this kind of jaded uh, relationship that's got this interesting view socially on it ends with it being part of the line of David. That Bathsheba ends up becoming the line of Jesus. That Rahab is the line of David. That, that God's redemption shines even through the genealogy that we are temp- they were tempted to just skip over sometimes. 
But we see here that David was the youngest of the sons of Jesse and that God told Samuel to go find the next king of the sons of Jesse. And he's got all these tall, handsome, older, good-looking boys. And, and Jesse doesn't even call David in from, from the fields. And the first kid that comes up, the oldest, I mean, he's like Saul, man. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's good-looking. He's a, he's a strong, jacked dude. And so Samuel's maybe thinking... All right, maybe this is our guy, but God tells Samuel that he looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. And so Samuel looks at all the sons and tells Jesse, I'm just not, I'm not seeing the guy yet. Do you have another son? He's like, yeah, but I mean, it's David. Right, bring him up here. I mean, but he's, he's like a little kid. And he's just watching the sheep out there. Bring David. And said he had very handsome eyes. Um, but it said that uh, in his heart, God knew that this was the man that he would have. And really, David typifies in so many ways what God desired for Israel as a king. Uh, in so many ways, his courage is, is really unmatched later. Uh, so he, Samuel anoints him as king uh, as this young boy. And it's this incredible story of patience because he's anointed as a king, but that doesn't come into play until Saul is dead. So for years, he ends up serving Saul by playing a harp, by being a a warrior, all these things. He has opportunities to kill Saul, but he won't do it because he's a man of honor and he wants God's timing to be what sets it up. And he's this incredible man. And there's this really great moment that this is what the kids are going to get to look at next week in kids' church. It's this epic, epic story of David and Goliath. And so David's on a food run. His dad sends him to take some food to his brothers as they're at battle with the Philistines. And when he gets there, he sees no battle happening. But the Philistines are camped over here. The Israelites are camped over here. And there's one huge dude standing out in the middle yelling out a challenge. And David, with a couple of buckets of Popeye's chicken in his hand, goes, hey, why is everybody just standing here? Everybody's like, well, do you see that guy? Yeah, that guy's huge. And he's making a challenge. He's saying, put me one-on-one against your greatest warrior, and whoever wins gets the losing side as slaves. And he just keeps calling out that challenge, and no one, not even Saul, will step up. So this scrawny little shepherd with a slingshot isn't having it. He's like, yeah, but did you hear what he said? He said some things against our God. And look, you can talk all you want about us, but you start talking about God, the God that delivered us from Egypt, the God that has given us a king, the God who has delivered us out of slavery, and you're going to let this guy talk about our God that way? Nah, I'm not having it. So Saul, now remember, Saul, if we remember the the depiction of Saul, is taller than everyone. Saul goes, well, then wear my armor. So David puts it on, and it swallows him. Right? It's like when my kids want to put on my work boots and they try to walk through the house. Like, it's cute, but not effective. And so David goes, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not wearing this. And so with a slingshot, he goes out. And listen, this speech he gives, this is like that moment. Look, as a young boy watching the movie Gladiator, there's that moment where Maximus gives that speech out on the battlefield and like chills are running up your spine. And if a burglar were to choose to try to rob your house at that very moment, 
you would do everything in your power to slaughter him because you feel like you could conquer the world after you hear a speech like this, right? It's, it's that moment in the movie 300 where the guy says, this is Sparta, kicks the dude into the well. This is the moment in Braveheart where William Wallace is running up and down with the horses and giving this unbelievable speech where people will gladly give their lives. And this scrawny little shepherd with a slingshot, no armor, comes out to this giant, and this is what he says. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. I mean, what? What a speech. What boldness. What courage. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is why we love the story of David and Goliath. Unlike Gideon, who stands afraid at the call of God, David, quite the opposite, stands with just unmatched, unrivaled courage, as even King Saul watches in fear. This is an unbelievable story, but here's... We love underdog stories. I put on Facebook this week, what's your favorite underdog story movie? And man, I got a ton of responses. There's tons of great ones out there. For some reason, as I thought that this one random movie came into my mind, Mighty Ducks. I just, as a kid, man, I loved the movie. But ducks, what is it? Ducks of a V fly together. Ducks fly together like there's a flying V and this whole story. And then you think of the real story of, of hockey, the movie Miracle, right? You watch the movie Miracle and a buddy of mine in the movie theater, like un, unrestrained, just stood up, started chanting USA in the middle of the movie. The whole theater started chanting it with him, right? So we love a good underdog movie. But here's, here's where we can make a mistake with this story. If, if we take David as the hero of the story... And we make David our moral example. And, 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 we, and we go, I'm going to go face my giants and slay them. Listen, you may win some battles, but if David is your example, if David is your hero, you will lose the war. Because David is not a perfect hero. And he is not the hero of the story. Did you hear even what David said? David even knew he wasn't the hero of the story. David said, look, you come at me with sword and spear, and you're huge. And that's great. Proud of you. I'm sure your mom's proud of you too. But I got, I got the Lord. The Lord's not going to let you talk about his people like this in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I, I love what he says. You catch this. This is part of his speech. He's calling out everyone behind him. And he says in verse 47, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. He, he says, I'm going to do this, one, because you spoke against my God, and you need to know that he's real, and two, so that everybody's standing behind me, all these cowards can know that my God is real, that our God is real, the God of Israel is real. He doesn't need sword and spear. He doesn't need the odds stacked in his favor. He created the world. He holds it in his hands. He's not scared of one Philistine. 
And so he all does it all to point to the glory of God in this story. And so I want you to see three shadows of the gospel in the story of the giant slayer. First, we see that David is the sacrificial substitute. Israel stands as cowards because they realize they cannot defeat Goliath. They don't have a guy. They don't have a guy as big as Goliath. They don't don't have an ability to beat this giant one-on-one. And and so they need somebody stronger than them. They need somebody with might to step in. David realizes that he's not the stronger one, but that God is. That they, they they, They have someone stronger than Goliath. They just need to call upon his name. And so David stands in as our sacrificial substitute. I say sacrificial because, I mean, if David's wrong, this is not going to end well for him, right? I mean, literally, short of a miracle, there's no way David wins this. And so he stands as a sacrificial substitute. But Jesus understands that we can't defeat our sin one-on-one. We can't even defeat our sin as a group effort. And we need a sacrificial substitute. So Jesus stands in as that sacrificial substitute. This is why David's not the hero. Jesus is the hero. David is the shadow. Jesus is the substance. So our second shadow is David attains victory through apparent weakness. David is vulnerable. He has no armor on. He's young. Just a slingshot. No military training. Jesus intentionally makes himself vulnerable. He comes as a baby. He submits himself to religious leaders and political leaders to be beaten, humiliated, hung on a cross, and murdered. And through apparent weakness, he defeats your sin and he defeats death. Can I get an amen? David is the shadow. Jesus is the substance. David is Israel's champion redeemer. Through David's victory, all of God's chosen nation is saved from destruction. Through Jesus' victory, all of God's chosen children are saved through destruction. The end, if there is no champion redeemer for Israel, is slavery and bondage. That's the deal. It's the deal that Goliath made, is that if I win, you're my slaves. If you win, we're your slaves. The end is slavery, and so they are freed from slavery by the victory of one man. That, that victory is, is, the word is imputed. Everybody say imputed. Which means you've got one man who gets victory, and his victory is then passed on to the children of Israel. They, the, the, the victory is imputed upon them. They are freed from slavery because of their champion redeemer. This story is actually the first time the word champion is brought into the Bible. But Jesus is our champion redeemer because through his victory, through the victory of one man on the cross, his righteousness is then imputed upon us. See, Romans chapter 5, if you want to study the word imputed, say it one more time, imputed. If you want to study imputation, you won't see the word, but you'll see the idea spelled out very clearly in Romans 5. You can take that note, do that later at home. We're not going to go into it, but if you study Romans 5, it talks about how Adam's sin was imputed upon us. We inherited the sin of Adam and Eve. It's been passed on through generations. But here's the thing that seems unfair, but you've got to realize even if they didn't, we would have done it anyway. If you were Adam and Eve, you'd have done the same thing. So their sin is imputed upon us, And we do enough of it on our own, Romans 5 says. But then through it also says then through one man, just like through one man sin was brought into the world, through one man righteousness is brought to those who believe. 
And through Jesus Christ, righteousness can be imputed upon his children as a champion redeemer. So David, we love to see him as the slayer of giants, this great man of honor, this great man of patience, patience, passion and patience, this shadow of Christ. We, we see unbelievable patience as so many times as Saul attempts to kill him out of jealousy and he's given opportunity to kill Saul. He, he finds himself in a cave with Saul sleeping. And everyone says, just kill the guy so you can be king. But he trusts that the Lord will provide at the right time. And so he leaves it in the Lord's hands in this unbelievable patience. We love to remember David as a slayer of giants for the glory of God. But sadly, he's also remembered for something else. For not only killing giants, but for killing his friends. And it goes bad. And we, so we can't miss the point. David can't be the hero of the story. David is also for us a cautionary tale of carelessness. In the conclusion of Paul's message, he reminds us that David, like all of our Old Testament shadows, is flawed. In verse 36 of Acts 13, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. While David is a great epic hero in many ways, he has a mighty failure in a moment of weakness and carelessness. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. In the spring of the year, the time, pay attention to this, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house and that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. I'm not, I'm not going to go into the rest of the story. We're going to keep it PG for today. But if you've never heard this story before, what you need to understand is after seeing this woman, he summons her over and one thing leads to another and then she goes to Walgreens and gets one of those tests. And they hit, they hit that scary, scary moment where it's clearly blue and they don't know what to do. And so David starts trying to figure out and worry about what to do, but he's gotten himself into this position through carelessness. And I, I want you to see this, three lessons we can learn in our sinful lives from David's carelessness. Be careful, listen to me, be careful not to let your self-confidence exceed your capabilities. We think too highly of ourselves so often. This is why in Romans 12, he t- the, the Apostle Paul tells us not to think too highly of ourselves. I mean, he gives us that warning. Don't think too highly of ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, he says, but each ought to think sober-minded about themselves. Take a sober assessment of who you are. You need to understand what your weaknesses are and not put yourself in a position to have to battle them. If you have a legitimate addiction to donuts, don't go to Krispy Kreme. Right? It's going to be real difficult for you at that moment. I am a sucker for a good dip. 
You give me chips and dip, and I will stay there. Last night, I was at a birthday party, and somebody brought out buffalo dip, which is not sinful unless you're me. And I ate so much buffalo chicken dip last night because my confidence exceeded my capability that I found myself sick from eating too much buffalo chicken dip. Listen, we can talk about the ways that are funny, and we can keep the story PG, but you know, you know where your situations are. And you need to be aware of your weakness. Your willpower is not enough. At best, listen, at best, here's the best case scenario when you try to defeat sin in your own willpower. At best, you will exchange that sin for another one. Best case scenario. Best case scenario in your own willpower is you will defeat that one temptation, that one sin, and it'll just shift to another form of idolatry where you find your joy and purpose and pleasure in something other than Jesus Christ, which is idolatry. So you'll just shift your idolatry from one thing to the other. It's, Matt Chandler says it's like mowing a yard full of weeds. It looks good for a day or two. But the weeds are going to come back pretty quickly. Point number two. Three, those are the three lessons that you can learn from David's carelessness. Is you cannot truly experience victory when you are sitting on the sideline. Pay attention to where this story starts with David. Where was he sitting when this story starts? On the couch. Did you catch that? He didn't just go to the roof. He went to the roof from the couch. Listen to me, and this is an epidemic in young men. Your sinfulness that is defeating you will often start when you're sitting on the couch. David was bored when he should have been busy. Did you pay attention to this passage of what's going on? It says, in the season when kings go to battle, David sent somebody else. And he just stayed. And where does he find himself? Bored. On the couch. 17 hours of Xbox. Eating all the chips. And he's trying to figure out what to do next. So he goes, I'm the king. I'm going to go look at my kingdom. I'm going to go look at what gives me glory. And so he goes to the roof. And he goes to the roof and he looks around at his kingdom and he sees something that gets him. Don't worry, they didn't leave because of that. They're going to get the chicken for today. You're like, man, that was a serious conviction. No, they're going to get us some chicken. They'll listen to the podcast later. Um, David was bored, and he should have been busy. Listen, you've heard idle hands or the devil's playground. Now, God has told us to rest, right? We're supposed to have a Sabbath. We're supposed to rest. But we're not supposed to be lazy. Followers of Christ are not supposed to be lazy. When we start to shirk our responsibilities, we open the door for the devil to bring temptation into our lives. If you were busy making much of Jesus falling in love with Jesus, the temptations will come, but you won't wonder to them as easily. Does that make sense? If it does, say amen. Last one there is, it is easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist sin. I love one of my favorite, this is probably my all-time favorite Martin Luther quote. Martin Luther says, if your head is made of butter, stay away from the fire. 
right? It, it is easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist sin. In other words, if you don't go wandering on the roof looking for what to get in trouble with, you probably won't get in trouble. If you don't go to Krispy Kreme, you probably won't eat the donut. If you don't find yourself in situations where the temptations are going to be there and you know they are, it's easier just to avoid the temptation. It's an easier step. It's a much easier step in your personal spiritual discipline to just go, I'm not going to enter into that situation because I know it will require me to resist sin. I realize my head is made of butter, and so I'm not going to the fire. Because listen, it will melt. You will lose. You may win that battle, but then you'll be strengthened in your self-confidence, and you'll enter into that battle again, and I promise you, you will lose. If not today, and it's not tomorrow, it'll come. You will lose that battle. You cannot defeat this in your own strength. You need a champion redeemer greater than David. David goes from being a courageous slayer of giants for the glory of God to killing his own personal joy for the momentary pleasure to killing an honorable man to avoid the consequences of his sin. So when David realizes that he's in this precarious, pregnant situation, he starts to scramble. We do this, don't we? And his first attempt is to get rid of the consequences, not repentance. Right? We see this in Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, when they sin, they realize the shame of their nakedness and they try to cover their nakedness. There's nothing new under the sun. This is the same pattern we fall into. We sin and the first thing we want to do is cover the consequences. And so David takes some attempts to cover the consequences, some, some, some less violent attempts initially where he calls uh, this, this lady's husband back from battle, Uriah. You've got to understand Uriah is his boy. This is not just some random soldier. Like This is a guy he's really linked arms with at times. This is a guy that his dad, I mean, like him and his, him and his dad are connected, and Uriah, they're connected. And I mean, it's this, it's this whole situation with somebody you're close with. And so he calls him back from the battlefield. So Uriah shows up, and he goes... And he gives him a feast, and he goes, man, go home, enjoy your wife. Maybe, maybe you'll get her pregnant. Maybe you have another kid coming. And Uriah goes, nah, man, nah, if everybody else is out of battle, I'm not. He probably doesn't even realize like, how much he's calling David out here on his original sin of this, right? This all started with David being bored when he should have been busy, not going to battle, but instead just being lazy on the couch, right? And so Uriah's kind of even calling him out on this when he goes, how could I enjoy the pleasure of my wife when all my brothers are out at battle? No, I'll, I'll just sleep outside and head back to battle as soon as you'll send me. So David goes, oh man. All right, we're going to have this guy drink a little too much wine. And so he brings him back and he gets him drunk. And he thinks, surely once he's drunk, then he'll go home. But again, he just sleeps outside. So David goes from being this courageous shepherd willing to sacrifice his own life for the glory of God to sacrificing someone else's life for his own glory. David goes from being a courageous shepherd and shadow of Christ to a cowardly king. 
2 Samuel eleven fourteen and 15. After these two peaceful attempts in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. What a coward. This, this was his boy. This was, I mean, they, they were friends. This is an honorable man, mighty man of valor. We've got three lessons to learn from David's cowardice. Unconfessed sins will make cowards of the most courageous. You need to understand that sin grows in the dark. When you leave sin unconfessed, its roots will take ownership of you. They will dig so deep into you that they will start to control you. And you go from probably one of the most courageous stories in the Bible of David and Goliath. What an unbelievable act of courage and faith. <clears throat> to taking such great measures to try to kill his friend. And not, listen, and not even slay him himself. But have the cowardice to just set up this scheme and try to make it look like an accident. In the next chapter, David gets called out by a prophet named Nathan in a very creative way, and he finally confesses, and he's truly repentant. We see this in the Psalms, the beauty written in the Psalms. and We see this start, this redemption process for David's soul and heart, which, which you've got to understand here. And that, that's, that's the beauty of the grace of the gospel, right? Is no matter where you are, the gospel can redeem anyone from anything at any point. Amen? So, so this is a, a beautiful story, but what you've got to get is this is also a turning point for David and his legacy. Everything goes bad from here. His family falls apart. His baby dies. All these things happen. His son does awful things to his daughter. The kingdom, his son tries to kill him. He gets family issues that would make Jerry Springer blush. It goes real bad in his whole family. The consequences are tragic. Even though God is redeeming him, the consequences are still tragic. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there are still consequences for our sin. And this is where we mess up. A lesson we can learn, attempting to kill consequences instead of sin will ultimately destroy you. See, one of my favorite quotes, and I've said it before, is John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Like David, so often what we do is just try to kill the consequences. First he just wants to cover it up, but then he tries to kill it and he kills his friend. Listen, you may think, you've got you to pay very close attention. You may think, I'm not capable. You may think you are not capable of great and egregious sin. Like, you may not say that out loud. If I say that, you may go, no, 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 I know we're all, no, no. But like deep in your heart, when you see people do horrible things, you judge them because you see them as separate from them. When you watch the news at night and you see people commit crimes, you judge them because you see yourself as different from them. And there's something in your heart that has this self-confidence that exceeds your capabilities. But what you need to understand is I guarantee you, I've never seen you do anything as courageous and faithful as David did with Goliath. 
I don't know that you've been written into the Scriptures as a man after God's own heart. I don't know if there's been more written on you in the Bible than anyone other than Jesus Christ, and almost all of it good. And David, David, the great, amazing King David, lets this sin take such root in his heart that he cowardly kills his friend. None of us can escape this. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, there will be an opportunity for you to confess at the end of the service. Listen to me. Confess it. Unconfessed sin, an attempt to kill your consequences, will destroy you. You can't beat it. You can't tame, you can't tame the pet lion. It will strike and destroy you. Sin can only be defeated supernaturally. There has to be a greater champion redeemer than you've ever imagined. And there is in the man, Jesus Christ. Now, all the Bible points to Jesus. In this story, it is not David who points to Jesus. But in a flawed way, it is Uriah. Think about it. Uriah sacrifices himself for an attempt at absolution of sin. Uriah carries his own death instrument to his death. He carries the note. But here's, but here's where it's a flawed example because the difference is, and you've got to pay attention, the difference is Uriah doesn't know that he's doing it. Uriah doesn't know what the note says. Uriah doesn't know what the ultimate fate will be with this note that he carries in his hand or he would certainly accidentally drop it. But Jesus, with joy, listen to me, with joy set before him. This this ought to shake your very soul, this truth. Jesus, with joy, Set before him, Uriah betrayed by his brother and friend, Jesus betrayed by his brother and friend. But Jesus knowingly betrayed, with joy set before him, with knowledge of the betrayal, with knowledge of the cross, with knowledge of the crucifixion, with joy set before him, because he loves you that much. Because he loves you that much, because he cares that much about God's glory, he knowingly submitted himself He could have pulled himself off of that cross at any moment. But out of unbelievable, radical, scandalous love and grace, he didn't. He knowingly did that for you so that you could no longer be a slave to sin. and You could be loved by God. You could be declared righteous. So we saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of David. Now let's look at the good news, the better David, the ultimate victor of Jesus. The good news is that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Acts 13, 38. Paul says, let it be known to you. This is so good. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Maybe your sins are as bad as David's. 
the good news is, is there's no sin so great that the blood of Jesus can't do it. But you know what can't? The law. The law falls short. And just like all the shadows of the Old Testament, Jesus is the substance that the shadow points to. Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the better fulfillment of God's story of redemption. Acts 13, 35 to 37. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Jesus didn't see the corruption. Jesus wasn't. In other words, Jesus wasn't corrupt. He was never corrupted. He never did anything corrupt, although David did. David is a great hero in the Bible in many ways. Epic tales. Not just David and Goliath. There are so many epic tales with David. But Jesus is the better David. He is the better fulfillment of what that shadow was pointing to. He is the substance of that shadow. Jesus is the ultimate victor. Jesus brings freedom from everything to those who believe. Acts 13, 38-39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone, and by him alone, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Jesus alone defeats death, and sin, and slavery. You may be enslaved to some secret sin that you have been unwilling to confess. Jesus alone will bring you victory. You leave it unconfessed, you just keep trying to cover up the consequences, you will eventually take greater actions to try to kill the consequences. And then it will take root, and it will own you. You cannot do this on your own. You need Jesus. All right, kids, you have your bulletins? Everybody ready? So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to do the kids' bulletin, then we're going to come back to a wrap-up, and we're going to close. So the kids' bulletin's been based off the sermon. Y'all ready to shout? I want, I want the answers loud. All right, so I'm going to read the part that is not the blank, and then when we get to the blank, kids, listen up. When we get to the blank you got to yell it out loud. You ready? And then, adults, here's where you're going to come in. At some point, you're going to see at the end either boo or yay. When we get to that point, and I do a thumbs up, you yell, yay! Practice it, adults. When I do this, you yell boo. Practice it. Perfect. All right, y'all ready? Paul and Barnabas spoke in the... There we go. Let's try, let's try that again. Let's get our rhythm. Let's get our rhythm. All right. Paul and Barnabas spoke in the and explained how had come to fulfill many Old Testament prophecies. However, the people of did not who he was and him and, and had him executed, though there was no for a death sentence. But God raised him from the dead, and this is very news. Through him, everyone who believes is...
We're almost there. Come on. Paul, Paul and Barnabas urged the people to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear Paul and Barnabas. The Jews were filled with jealousy when they saw the crowds and they spoke against Paul's message. Paul said, because you reject God's word, we will preach instead to the Gentiles, which made the Gentiles glad. The word of the Lord spread through the whole, and the disciples were filled with So think back on our story of David and pay attention. Listen to this. We can find victory and freedom only in the substance of Jesus Christ and the gospel. You will not find freedom in yourself or in anything else this world has to offer. You won't find freedom lazy on the couch. You won't find freedom wandering on the rooftop looking at the glory of your own kingdom. No matter how great your kingdom is, if your eyes are on your own glory, the devil will use that to ensnare you. David's courage is off the charts at the beginning of the story. But his carelessness needs to be a cautionary tale for us. No one here is immune to the grips of sin. No one. We need to take steps to win the battle before it even starts by just avoiding the temptation in general. Now, it'll find you, but you know when you're walking in sometimes. And you need to make wiser choices. We need to realize that sin grows in the dark and that when we leave sin unconfessed, it'll make cowards of the most courageous of us. When we leave sin in the dark and we think we can domesticate that lion, we think we can tame that sin, we need to understand that we can't and we will lose. At best, we will transfer transfer our idolatry to something else. And then those roots will just keep growing. So today, confess your sin, lest it really get its grip and destroy you. Some of you in this room are on the brink of destruction right now. And it may look like you've got it all together. And you're scared to death to speak out loud what has been going on when you think no one else knows. And you're so scared. You are so scared to say out loud that it drives you. And just avoiding those consequences has become your God. It's become what you serve. Become what you give your energy and your effort and your affection. But the good news is Jesus is the better David. He's the better champion, redeemer. That through his victory over sin and death, you can have victory over sin and death. What we need to understand is we are all in the process of transforming. We are either transforming more into the image of Christ or more into our own glory. David transforms from courageous to coward. And you may be doing the same thing. 
But we can transform from being consumed by lust to be driven by true love of God. We can be transformed from being thieves to being generous givers, from being liars to tellers of truth and speakers of truth, from being broken to being blessed by God and a blessing to others. We can be transformed from who we are in our own identity to being a child of God declared righteous, declared innocent, declared victorious over sin, over death, over all the things that want to destroy us, we can have victory, but only in Jesus, only in Jesus. And so I want to challenge you today, if you have unconfessed sin, to confess it and find that freedom and speaking it out loud. James chapter 5 tells us that that's the beginning of healing when we confess sin out loud and the prayers of the righteous availeth much. I'm not telling you I'm righteous. I'm just telling you I'll be glad to pray over you and we'll see if my prayers work. And I'm going to be up here. Pastor Chris will be up here. And anything you confess to us stays with us. But you need to say it out loud. You need to say it out loud. And if you have been trying to do this on your own, and you would love for God's righteousness to be imputed upon you, like we talked about, for the champion redeemer to be declared righteous and therefore you declared righteous and you'd love to become a child of God today, I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would not (laughs) let the enemy keep us in our seats this morning. If there is sin that needs to be confessed out loud, Lord, I pray that if there are, are ladies that need to confess sin, that we could just attach ladies to them, that, Lord, Lord, we could, we could let them confess sin, that if men want to come confess sin, that they would come confess that sin and find freedom in, in you, Lord. Lord, that we would not let complacency and apathy and fear drive us. But we would find our freedom in you. Lord, I pray that if there are lost souls in here, that you would bring them to salvation this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.